0: Uh, Today, I want to share with you several things about um, just this aspect of joy that we have in our story of redemption. You know, I wanted to take a little bit of a step back. First couple of weeks have been pretty heavy duty. Uh, The first week was really heavy duty because I wanted you to get an understanding of what redemption was the theology of redemption, the doctrine of redemption. I wanted you to understand through Scripture, and we went through a ton of Scripture. If you missed that, you can go online, you can see the podcast, or you can listen to it there. I wanted you to understand what are the basics of what we believe about redemption. Now, one of the crucial things for us is moving beyond simple belief to where we are living this out in our own lives. A lot of people can take on beliefs And they can follow through with those beliefs throughout their lives and at the end of their life can have believed all of the right things and yet not experienced any of the the power of Christ within their life. In fact, Scripture warns us that when we're just trying to increase our knowledge, which beliefs are in, in a sense an area of knowledge, when we just increase our knowledge, that may make us feel better, but it doesn't necessarily take us anywhere. When we look at Uh, how Scripture defines the enemy, how Scripture defines uh, demons, and it says they believe a lot of the right things, but they are not experiencing the power of Christ because they have not embraced or received Him as their Savior. So as we look at this concept of redemption, we looked at the definition that to redeem means to take ownership by paying a debt. Now, we've gone through all of, all of that, and if you've been in church at any, any amount of time in your life, you have heard that we had a debt that Jesus Christ paid. What I want to talk to you about today is how do we not only experience this, but what do we do once we have found true redemption in our lives? And I bet all of you know somebody that is excited about their faith. I mean, they talk about it. They want to, you know, share it with other people. Whenever they talk about Christ, they get excited about that. You know somebody who is excited about their faith. You probably also know people who claim to know Christ who don't seem to be excited about anything, right? Much less their walk with Christ. And so, how do we look at people who have been, have should have experienced this incredible work of redemption, where the debt has been paid, where life has been given from? darkness into light, and from death into life, how is it possible to live that way and not truly experience the joy that comes through redemption? So I've got a few things I want to share with you, but I want to not just talk about what are we saved from. That's what we focus on a lot of in church. We talk about we're saved from our sins, we're saved from bad lifestyles, we're saved from poor choices, we're saved from you know all kinds of different things. But what I want to focus on today is more what are we saved for? So not so much what are we saved from, but what are we saved for? And as we look at the story of redemption and the birth and the life and the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, the story of redemption is the story of joy because ultimately you and I were dead and we were made alive. Now, it doesn't get more basic than that. Now, we can go through different understandings of well, what does he really mean by we were dead. And, 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 but at the end of the day, if you have come to a place within your life that you recognize I am in need of a Savior and Jesus has foot the bill for me. I am no longer dead in my sins. I am alive with Christ that should in some way radiate from us. And so whenever I see a Christian who is always down on everything, I have to ask, what's going on within your heart? What is going on within your life that you have experienced this life-giving opportunity to know Christ, to walk with Him, and to receive the Holy Spirit, and yet you act as if life is terrible? Well, I get the part that life can seem terrible. I get that it can be difficult, and when we look at what's going on in the world around us, there is much pain, there is much heartache, and you will experience it at some point if you aren't experiencing it now, or if you haven't experienced it before. There are facets of our world that are not comfortable or pleasurable. So what does it look like for us to understand that we were brought from death to life? John 3.16 is probably the Most known verse other than Jesus wept. I saw a car the other day that had Jesus wept on the front license plate. And I just thought, I don't know what the purpose of. Maybe you understand what the purpose of that was. I don't know that they learned a verse. This is my verse I've learned. I don't know what it's on there for. Or that they just wanted people to know Jesus cried from time to time. I don't know, but it was on the front of a car. But other than that verse, this is the most known verse of anybody within Christian circles. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal what? Life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. This is so crucial in the way that we share Christ and that understanding that what we are offered is a great gift of great joy and great hope, not condemnation. Now, there is condemnation to be had and to be shared. And as we've already looked at, one of the things that we are redeemed from is God's wrath. And I would say it's a good thing not to experience God's wrath. I know for me, I went through a period in my teenage years where I had come to know Christ, I believed in Christ as my Savior, and yet I was pulled in so many different directions with other relationships. I wanted to fit in in school. I wanted people to like me, and I figured I ought to probably do the things that they do so they will like me and I will fit in. And some of those things were not honoring to God at all. And I remember one day, we we were at youth camp, and I've shared this before, if you've been here before, we were at youth camp, and there came a thunderstorm. And in that thunderstorm, I love rain if I'm undercover. I don't like rain when I'm out in the rain. I love rain when I'm undercover. I don't sing in the rain. If I'm in the rain, I'm looking to get out of the rain. But I love to be undercover and watch rain. I love to listen to rain. I love to be outdoors. And if you've ever been under a, you know, kind of a tin roof shelter while it's raining... That's the best sleep you can ever get. It is wonderful. I love it. And this particular day, it was an incredible thunderstorm. Lightning was going, it was just striking everywhere. And we were right in the middle of it. And right across the way from where we were staying, lightning hit a tree and it split the tree. We were probably about 150 feet away from the tree. And yet several of my friends standing next to us just got peppered with splinters or pulling wood out of their clothes and out of their skin. The windows behind the tree are blown out. And I remember thinking for that moment, that is the power of God. (laughs) I mean, there are many other ways God has power. But in that moment, as a teenager, I looked at that and said, if God can do that, what else can God do? And it was that moment that I decided I have got to stop playing around and I need to know that God. Because it is, is incredible what he has offered us. It is true that we are saved from wrath. It is true that there is condemnation for those who don't know Christ. But Christ's purpose in coming is not so that we will feel terrible about ourselves. His purpose in coming is to remove the condemnation. To bring us from death into life. And not just life in this world in the way that we live. But to give us eternal life. So he didn't, send a, he didn't come into the world... To condemn the world. But he came that it would be saved through him. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. This is the reality. This is the truth of where we have been. And where Jesus wants to bring us. The light has come into the world. And yet people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil you know the aspect of love throughout the gospel is is everywhere god's love for us that he allowed us to survive even when we read in the old testament where god thought about wiping us all out thankful to noah that we survived there are times that we certainly have deserved that as humanity and the only reason that we don't deserve it is because of what christ did on the cross so as he comes to us, he offers us an opportunity at life. as we were in the hospital this week. It was we were at Vanderbilt, which is a huge hospital, and people everywhere where we were sitting waiting to get news of their loved one having surgery, we, there are many people there that were not going to make it. They just weren't going to make it. And one family in particular had gotten the news. That their loved one didn't make it. When you're in a situation like that. And you truly understand the consequences between life and death. And you are awarded life. It changes you. When you're not sure how things are going to work out. And it could go very bad, very quickly. And yet it doesn't. It changes you. When we started a journey early on. We, I have always held some other job other than doing doing this, and uh, I had the opportunity to deliver trucks early on, and I was doing way too much. I was delivering trucks around the, the country. They would buy a new truck. I would deliver it to them. I would take their old truck. I would bring it back, and it paid really well. Uh, but it required me to drive a lot. And I, some of you must—you may like to drive. I, I don't like to drive. I like to drive short distances. I don't like to drive long distances. And at the same time, we were starting journey and trying to get things going. And, and so I would stay up till late at night, and I'd get up early in the morning and have to go drive long distances. And I eventually did that enough that I fell asleep driving a truck down the interstate. Now, All kinds of terrible things could have happened. And so when I woke up, it's a startling thing to wake up and realize that that's what you've done. I maybe fell asleep for just, gosh, a split second. But it was enough that when I kind of opened my eyes, I was a little startled. I had veered off the road into the median. And I thought in this moment, this is it. Because as I was coming driving down the median, there was a an overpass that I could see in front of me. And I really didn't know how deep the, uh, the drop was. But I knew my truck wasn't stopping because <laughs> it was a big heavy railroad truck and they don't stop quickly. And so I hit the brakes and I just thought for a split second, this is it. This is it. I am embarrassed by the fact that this is how I'm going out of the world And I really hate that this is going to be the way I'm going to be remembered, but this is it. Now, those were all quick thoughts. You know, I didn't have a long conversation with myself, but long story short, it wasn't my day. It could have been. And when they came to pull the truck out of the ravine, um, they said, "Had had I missed just where I hit the the overpass, and had I hit it just a little bit sooner, it would have sheared the top of the truck completely off, along with half of me. So I was really thankful that didn't happen. But in that moment, it was a great priority change for me. Some lessons I didn't really learn really well. I still work too much, and I don't get enough rest. And if you do that, it never works out well. You never accomplish what you think you're going to accomplish. You never go or get where you think you're going to get. It never works out well. Those poor decisions were opportunities for me to recognize that I needed to change the way that I perceived the world around me. There is a great gift when you recognize that you are headed for death, and yet you have get, are given life. Now, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that we read throughout Jesus teaching his disciples and telling them who they should go after that constantly Jesus is talking about the poor and the oppressed and the sick and the hurting and the captive is because those are the people who are looking for a rescue. And the problem and the reason that scripture says it is harder, it's It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the the kingdom of heaven is simply because the rich man doesn't always recognize that they have a need to be rescued. You and I don't want to feel the need to be rescued. We want to feel that we have this ability in and of ourselves. That's why we want to look and appear strong. We want to look and appear like we have it all together. We want to look like we're better than somebody else. We we do that because we want to feel like in and of ourselves, we are enough in this world. And yet when things start to go south, you recognize I'm not enough. And that's when we're most interested in reaching out to Christ. Interestingly for young families, a lot of young families come here and something that we found whenever we started having kids and what you probably found when you started having kids is that you reach with the, the birth or with receiving your first child, you reach new levels of feeling incompetent than you have ever felt in your life. How do I get this kid to stop crying? How do I get them to stop pooping everywhere except in the diaper? I mean, how do I do this? Am I feeding it enough? I I mean, is this child going to live? Am I going to go to prison because I, I didn't care enough for this child to keep it alive? You know they're all unrealistic, you know expectations, uh, you know of how bad it's going to be. But those things kind of go through you, and it's interesting that when a young family has a child, they are more likely at that moment than any other time in their adult life to be interested in knowing Christ if they don't already. And I think it's because we feel the need for a rescue. We feel the need for a rescue. Many times when Jesus sent the disciples out, he told them to go to those that knew they needed a rescue. As we've looked at what was going on at this time in the nation of Israel, so big news this week that we're, we're now going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, which has been that way for a long time. So that's, that's big news But when we look back through the history of the nation of Israel, there were lots of stumbles along their way. And time and time again, when they would turn to God, God would bless them and their nation would grow. And time and time again, they would get comfortable and walk away from God and their nation would either shrink or be destroyed. And so they're entering into a time when Jesus is about to be born for the, the, the last six decades... They have been under Roman rule. They recognize they have lost their sovereignty as a nation. Their hope is not there. They are questioning their faith in God because God has clearly abandoned them again. And they are wondering, is there going to be another Savior for us? Saviors for them up to this point have been people that have come in and helped liberate them from their enemies. Saviors are people like Joseph who helped feed them when they had nothing Liberators like Moses bringing them out of Egypt. Liberators like the judges who would come in and fight their battles like Samson. Even though Samson made so many mistakes in his life, he was there to fight for the nation of Israel. And they were praying for decades again. We are now under Roman rule. We need someone to rescue us. And when Jesus entered the picture not only did he provide a rescue, but he changed the whole way that they would see the world. And when we look at the story of redemption, we recognize that God is offering his redemption because of his great love for us. We see it over and over again. Even in the nation of Israel, even when they would turn away from him, his love would continue to pour down on them and provide them a rescue. And yet this system that they were living under, this religious system that we've looked at for several months now together, that was corrupted, it was broken, it was not leading people to God. It was leading people to want to give up on God because it was so utterly corrupt. When the Savior came in, he was going to change everything. And it all had to do with God's love for us. And yet one of the things that we still fear the most... Is being alone. There are many at Christmas that struggle with joy. Because they've experienced loss. And while we will go and do lots of things with families together. Those that don't have a family to be with at Christmas. Often find it a very dark time. And yet if we understand redemption. We understand that no matter what we go through within this world, God's love is there for us to get us through. We are saved from wrath, but we are saved for so much more. This is one of the things I hope that you'll see in in some of these things that I'm going to share with you, a lot from Ephesians chapter 2. What exactly is he saving us for? What do our lives look like After this moment that we receive Christ, what does it look like to be redeemed? And now we're bought. Now we belong to him. Our debt has been paid. We don't have to worry about wrath. We don't have to worry about being condemned. There may any number of things could happen in this world. But at the end of the day, we are not going to stand before him and be found guilty. We will be found innocent because of Christ. So what are we saved for in the meantime? Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So six things, just from this passage alone, that what we are saved for. When we find redemption... When we truly know that we are his, that we are part of his family, that whenever this life ends, we will be with him for an eternity. There are things that change in us. One thing is that we are made alive in Christ. Now, what does that mean? The alternative is if you're not in Christ, you are what? but your heart's still beating, right? Your lungs are still filling with air. When we we understand life and death simply in the fact that these bodies that we have for a very temporary time, they are are functioning. If that's our only understanding of life and death, then we will completely miss the beauty of the gospel. Because when we... solely focus on the biology of life and death then we're fine whenever we die we're dead we're done it's all over and there are a lot of people in the world that believe that it's all over at the moment that you die so when i die i don't care anymore so i'll just live my life however i want now the problem with living our life however we want to now is it never leads to feeling alive there always feels like death There is something within us that says there is more, I'm missing more. And the real problem that we have within the world and the problem that we have in our nation is there is so much more for us to want after that we will constantly satisfy ourselves with an ever-growing list of wants. Leah, this will be her second Christmas with us. And Malia's still figuring all this out. She's figuring out because it's kind of the whole big Christmas thing is new to her. But, um, but also because she's just three, you know. So she's figuring all this stuff out. And so now, anytime she sees something that she likes, she wants to know if she can put it on her Christmas list. Now, in Malia's mind, you see, in my mind, Christmas list is very arbitrary. The Christmas list may or may not be fulfilled. You can put whatever you want on the Christmas list, It may not happen. Right now, a pair of gray cowboy boots and a new Jeep are on her Christmas list. (laughs) I've tried to help her understand, if we get you a new Jeep, understand, Malia, you can't drive it for a long, long time. You're not getting a Jeep. But in her mind, she's getting whatever she puts on her Christmas list. So yesterday, we were out, and she saw a little girl that had a pair of boots on. She's all about boots. I mean, she's a shoe girl. I don't know where she gets it from, but She just loves shoes. And so she said, I want to put those boots on my Christmas list. I said, well, Malia, those are her boots. (laughs) You can't have her boots. But in her mind, it's going on my Christmas list. That means it's mine. It has to be mine. It's written in stone. It's going to be mine. There's always an ever-growing list of more that we can want after. And the problem with wanting more is we're never happy with what we have. And so there's this tension between wanting more and being happy with what we have. Sometimes wanting more is a good thing, right? I would really like to make enough money to be able to provide health care for my family, okay? That's a good more thing to want, right? I would really like to patch this hole in the roof so that rain doesn't come in and heat stays in and, You know, we are able to live comfortably in our home. That's a good more kind of thing to want, right? But usually those aren't the more things that we're looking after. It's the more stuff that comes in your email whenever it says there's a deal to be had on the greatest gifts on Amazon right now, right? To be honest, how many of you have opened those emails? I have. Anytime it says these are the cool tech gifts of 2017, I got to see what that is. You know, I may want some of those. It's that more that leads us to the idea that we're going to be alive if we attain something. The problem is more never attains anything. It never leads to satisfaction. It always makes us feel like we don't have enough. And that's the way many people live their lives. They don't live their lives alive in Christ. They live their lives in death trying to get more to fill the hole that only Christ can fill. Second thing we see in Ephesians chapter two that we are saved for is that we will be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Now, if we're going to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places, then hopefully those heavenly places exist, right? I don't know what they look like. Emma's not here today, but she would probably think it looks like Starbucks. Would be my guess. If there was God there with some kind of an angel as a, a barista and whatever the you know, just those. Unicorn Frappuccinos were served every single day. I don't know what it would look like. But we hope in that there are heavenly places and that we are going to be seated with Christ. Not seated in the heavenly places, but seated with Christ. See, once you move from death to life, then all of a sudden your whole view of the world changes and you are thankful for the one who has given you life. They become someone you talk about. Become someone you think about. They become someone you tell stories about. They become an important person in your life. We will be seated with Christ. A third thing that we see in Ephesians chapter two is that God will show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. I love this. See, there were times in my life that I sat under preachers who tried very hard to tell me how hot hell was, and I was going there. And I never felt good when I left. And there are a lot of of us that kind of came up in that kind of a, a teaching scenario that we got saved every single time there was an opportunity because we were just afraid one of them is going to hopefully take because based on what we've just heard, the last one didn't take. And it would always be something to the, you know, To the sense of if you're not a hundred percent sure. Well, I've never been a hundred percent sure of anything in my life. I don't know about you. There are many times that I doubt. One of the messages we've tried to continually give is that if you doubt, it is okay. God is bigger than your doubt. However, if we stay in doubt, then we are staying in death as well. God will show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Kindness. Can you imagine what that would be like? I'm still waiting for those riches to be you know money. Maybe it's in bitcoin i don't know I'm, I haven 't figured out bitcoin. it's not based on anything it's not there's nothing that backs it up and I read an article i don 't know a few months ago about a guy who developed another cryptocurrency, and then he lost how to get back into the system where all the cryptocurrency was held. And so they lost all of the currency that was in his crypto model because apparently there's all these models out there. I don't even understand this stuff I'm talking about. I don't even understand it. There's nothing to back it up, nothing to give it value, and yet we keep waiting for God to give us these riches that we think is going to satisfy that need for more. But what he's offering us in kindness is that we get to walk with him in wholeness and in life and in fullness. The fourth thing, and I find a great promise for this very reason that we don't always feel 100% on target with where we think we should be, is that God is continually working on you. Continually working on you. This is, we are God's workmanship. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful God continues to work on us. I have to remember that when I am looking at my own life. I have to remember that when I look at my kids' lives. I got to remember that when I look at other people's lives. We are not a finished product yet. You are not a finished product yet. Wherever you are, however great you are in your own mind, you have not arrived. And however far you think you are from being where you should be, God is still working on you. See, I love this idea or this opportunity that we can grow. If I today was in the exact same place in my faith that I was when I first came to know Christ, I would be concerned. I love that I get to learn new things. I get to see God in new ways. I get to hear Him in new ways. I love to be able to watch Him at work in the world. I I love it whenever He shows me something I need to root out in my life because I have found that when I root those things out, life gets better. He's continually working on us. fifth thing I see in Ephesians chapter 2 is that God is calling us to a life of good works. This is where things get a little confusing, but I think this is one of the truths that we are missing in the church today, is that this is what God wants from us, is a life of good works. The reason it's confusing is because Scripture also tells us that we are not saved by those works. So if I'm not saved by those works, then maybe those works aren't that important, in fact, Scripture goes so far as to say you can't even do anything that's really good on your own. And only good things we do is when God does those through us. But yet, what Ephesians 2 tells us is that we were destined for good works from the moment we were created. I love how James takes that argument and he says, You know what? Works does not lead to your salvation, but works demonstrates your salvation. And one of the things that I think a lot of people are are accepting today because it's easy is that none of our works matter. None of them matter. I mean, I'm just a poor sinner saved by grace. Well, that is absolutely true, but your works do matter. God is continually working on us, and God is calling us to a life of good works. Number six is that our redemption compels us to worship. I love our worship here. Maybe from wherever your background comes, we we have family that will come and endure our worship. You know, this is not their thing. If you you know get get a you know get some of the old Billy Billy Graham worship leaders up here, and they're all into it, or you know, good old Southern gospel. But this you know put a put a syncopated drum beat to something, and it just ruins worship for some people. But I love what we do here. But that's not the kind of worship that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the kind of music that gets our heart pumping, the kind of music that makes us get excited, what makes us want to raise our hands and sway. I'm talking about our everyday desire to worship our Savior. Psalm 107 says this. This is really where I wanted to get you to. It says, verse 1, O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. This idea, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, is the idea that you and I should not sit on this immense knowledge that we have of life in Christ. Now, it's very easy to look at somebody and think, you know, that person, they need to go out. They need, they're the kind of redeemed person that needs to say so. When I say so, I always stick my foot in my mouth. People are going to respond wrong. They're going to respond, you know, and, and they're not going to take it wrong. I'm going to mess it all up. And somebody's going to go to hell because I didn't do a good job of letting the redeemed say so. But yet scripture just simply says, if you've experienced redemption, talk about it. Say it. Worship is compelled from those who have been saved. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. First Peter 2, 9, one of my favorite verses in Scripture says, "...but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called him out of darkness and into his marvelous light." Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you, were not, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I love 1 Peter chapter 2. I mean, think about who Christ is. Just throw out a word when when i when you think of who christ is what is what what thoughts bring come to your mind just say it in a word or a short short phrase love Love. what else friend savior what else fearlessness teacher hope what else lord Rest? What was it? Something over here? Truth? You know, when you think of Christ, is that something that you think of through the day? Do you think about who he is for you throughout the day? Do you think about his compelling love for you, that he gave his life for you every day, that on those days that you feel less worthy that even on your worst day, his love was so perfect and full for you that he was willing to give his life for you on your worst day. See, once we've experienced redemption, the cost is paid. If you, I don't know, has anyone ever been in debt in their room? What if we just had somebody walk in and say, you know what, every one of your debts is paid, I don't care what it is. Would you be thankful for that person? Well, you're darn tootin' I would be, yeah. Is he here? Where is he? Where's he at? But the only reason that that would be meaningful to us is we know the weight of debt. We know the weight of debt. It's one of the reasons Christians have to be among the best money managers on the planet. Because when you are in debt to a lender... Scripture says you are their slave, which is absolutely true. I remember I never truly understood how nefarious debt was until we had gotten into quite a bit of debt, and we sold a house, and we paid everything off. We paid everything off. The next week, they called us up, willing to give us an advance of credit in the amount of the debt we had just paid off. Man, we haven't been paid off for a, a week. Now, some people been like, "You, all, all right. They're like, no way. I know what debt feels like. I know how it weighs on you. I know how it drags you down. You can't do anything. I, it feels terrible. When we understand the weight of debt, the person that relieves that debt becomes beautiful in our eyes. And if it's credit card debt and someone were to erase that from you, if it's your mortgage that has overcome you and they were to erase that from you and not erase your house, people will erase your mortgage by taking your house away. That's not a good solution either. But if somebody erases a debt that you feel is leading you and holding you back, then that changes you. Verse 9, you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. You are a connection between the world and God. That is what a priest is. One of the reasons that we hold to the idea or the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer is that you don't need anybody else to get to God except Jesus Christ. And yet he calls us his priests because we are the intermediaries between a world that doesn't know him and him. That's what you are. You are his priest. You have been called by him to represent him. We are a holy nation. A people for his own possession. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. And that we would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into the light. If you have ever been in darkness. Then you know the beauty of coming into the light. See, we find joy once we understand the state we were in. And the new state that we are in because of Christ. I'm no longer that person. I'm no longer in darkness. I'm no longer in bondage to that debt. I'm no longer in bondage to that sin. Even if I do sin, it will lead me to repentance. However, I will not be held accountable for that sin. It is forgiven, paid for by Jesus Christ. We find joy when we see this. When our only definition of joy is earthly pleasure, we have yet to see the redemption as the ultimate gift that could be received. I will. I will be honest with you. I'm not always here. I'm not always living that. There are days that worldly pleasure is awfully enjoyable, isn't it? It's awfully enjoyable. When we understand joy simply as I feel good and I'm happy in this world. I think most people, if you were to ask them, if you could have one thing in life, what would it be? Most people, if not all people, would say, I just want to be happy. Now, happiness may look different for each person. Happiness, for one, may be that I get to work really hard a long time. Happiness may look like I never have to work. Happiness may mean I'm going to hit... Every amusement park in the developed world, one right after the other, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be the best road trip ever. There are many days that I think about the pleasures that I can have in this world, and they seem to be so much more just immediate and fulfilling than God. But it is in those moments that darkness begins to creep in again. When anything replaces him at the center of our treasure, the ultimate gift that we could receive. And again, this is one of the reasons that I believe God leads us to a place of brokenness. And it's one of the reasons that he says, focus on those who are broken because they are the ones who are most ready to be rescued. Will we be rescued? Will we get there? Will we see what he is offering us? And ultimately, the excellencies of Jesus are worthy to be proclaimed by the redeemed. Let me, let me wrap this up. Let me let me jump down to, let me jump down to Revelation, Toby. I'm going to skip Colossians. Revelations one four through eight is is a greeting to churches. It's written by John. A vision that he had it says john to the seven churches that are in asia grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from jesus christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his god and father we see that again to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So you and I, as priests, we have a mission in this world. We're going to talk about this more next week. We have a mission in this world, and I want to share some stuff next week. You don't want to miss next week, by the way. I want to share some stuff next week about some of the um, writings of what happened in the hundred years after Jesus was uh, resurrected. What happened within Israel itself, within the temple, and ways God was manifesting himself in a very visual way to people to say, the message is not to stay in the temple. God is no longer in the temple. He is out in the lives of his followers, and he wanted to continually show. It's an amazing thing that we read about. We'll do that next week. But I want to ask you this question. Does your life demonstrate a testimony of the redeemed? Are you being a priest for God that goes out and says, this is the greatest thing that could happen to you? This is the greatest thing that has happened to me? This is the greatest gift that could possibly have been received? Does your life demonstrate a testimony of the redeemed? Does anyone around you know that you're redeemed? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We have so many opportunities to be a testimony of redemption to our family and to our friends and to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to people that we live around. We have an opportunity to be a testimony of redemption to the people we can't stand, to the people that we avoid at work, to the people that we don't even want to think about, that we've blocked on Facebook. It can be a testimony to them of the redemption that we've experienced and they can too the measure of a person's maturity i find in this process of growth and our ability to give a testimony of redemption is our willingness to limit ourselves for the benefit of somebody else i've been thinking about this a lot lately when we think of maturity when you think of a mature person you think of somebody who's encouraging not critical right When you think of a mature person, you think of somebody who would stop what they're doing to help somebody in need, right? Somebody who's mature is probably not going to say everything they want to say. (laughs) Which I think is a big one, and I'm working on that. There are times that I feel so righteous in letting somebody know how wrong they are. And yet God beckons to just keep your mouth shut, Mark. (laughs) I'm getting better, I think, at times of listening to that. But maturity really does look like limiting yourself to benefit somebody else. Whenever we do stuff like missions, offerings, you could totally use all of that for yourselves. You could definitely do that. And for a lot of Christians today, very few actually give anymore. I mean, very few give. They hold it all in. And the crazy thing is that the more you hold it in for yourself, the less you will have. The more you give away, the more you tend to have. It's an amazing thing that happens. It's this mystery of the gospel that the things that we assume are going to be true and assume are going to be right, God throws them completely on end and says, oh, no, no, no. It's better to give than to receive. It's amazing how that stuff works. But maturity says, I'm going to limit, even though this is my money, it's not really. But this is my money, that's the way we see it. I'm going to limit myself for the benefit of somebody else. Whenever you're having a bad day and somebody comes up to you and offers you encouragement... They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to take the time to do that, but they decided they needed to do something for you. Limited themselves for the benefit of others. We think of maturity. We think of that person that when they see someone sitting by themselves at the lunch table at school, they go and sit with them, if you can. And there's all kinds of rules for that stuff. So you know what? I could go over here with all my friends, but I, I'm going to limit myself To benefit you. Over and over. The more I think about this. The more I see that. That is what God is often calling us to. When we look at the life of Jesus. Scripture tells us. Jesus limited himself. For guess what? The benefit of us. And while he was God. He did not consider equality with God. As something that he should have. He limited himself. So that he could come and be our Messiah. I do believe and I do see this in people that, that know Christ and, and I see this in many people in this room. I see it in their lives. When we are joyful that we are redeemed, we desire to pass that along to others. And we can pass that along in a lot of different ways. One of the ways I've asked you to, to think about and to pray about is to come back and check out Kidmo and maybe get involved in our elementary school ministry on Sunday mornings. You'll have to limit yourself in order to benefit somebody else. Because I'm going to tell you, no one in their right mind ever said, you know what is very stress-free, working with elementary school kids. No one ever said that. No one ever said, you know what, I had a hard day at work. I really need to be rejuvenated by going and working with some elementary school students. No one ever says that, right? Right? If you take advantage of our ministry on Wednesday nights for kids and you're, you're thinking, gosh, I'm so tired. I just can't, I can't, I can't deal with anybody after work. Then that person that's caring for you or your kids on Wednesday nights has decided to limit themselves for your benefit. And So as I look at maturity, I believe more and more that if we were to just strip it down, that's what it is. God's constantly calling us to limit ourselves for the benefit of others. Maybe one way is by sharing your faith with people that you know are going to think less of you, or at least you think they're going to think less of you for doing that. Perhaps that's limiting yourself for their benefit. Maybe they won't receive the benefit, but you're at least attempting. I know on Sunday mornings, when you come and you serve, you are limiting yourself for the benefit of us. The, these guys that come up here and girls that lead worship and then, they got to practice all week in order to be ready for this on Sunday morning, they're limiting themselves for the benefit of us. We have the opportunity to limit ourselves for the benefit of others. The way that we teach and the way that we witness. This is one of the areas that I I trust that that I'm in God's workmanship. He is still working on me. I'm not there yet. He's still working on me. This is the way that we love. How do you love your enemies? You limit yourself for the benefit of somebody else. Here's what I want to leave you with today. This is one of those sermons that... you probably already know something. You you probably know some applicable thing that you need to do with this. And so all I want to leave you with is this. God has come into the world to give you life, to bring you out of the darkness and into the light. He paid for you, paid your debt with his blood, with his torture, with his unjustified murder. And he came back from the grave for you. Not only did he come back, he stayed a little while before going to heaven and made this promise not only to his, his disciples but to us as well. I'm going to prepare a place for you and when the time is right, I'm going to come get you and I'm going to bring you there. And that is why we hope so much in the return of Christ that he is coming back. One day we will be with him in the heavenly places, seated with Christ, the object Of our love and affection because of the great redemption he's given us. As you live your life, if you have received this redemption, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I pray that you would help us to not only live out in good works. But we know that that in and of itself will lead to defeat We can't ever do enough good works. But God, I pray that we would see you for who you are, for the great love you've given us. I pray that we would see the redemption that we have in you. I I pray that we would see the sacrifice you made for us. And not just at Christmas as we think about the birth of Christ. And not just at Easter when we think about the resurrection of Christ. But every day. Year round, we see the beauties and the excellencies of the one who has brought us out of the darkness and into the light. Father, I desire that none of us would live and keep time in the dark, but that we would never forget how dark that darkness was so that we will always be thankful that we are now in the light. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for salvation. I thank you that you rescued me someone that was not deserving to be rescued, but you chose to rescue me. I pray that we would see this world differently, we would see life differently, and as we go out seeking joy, that we would find it in you, our Redeemer. As we sing and as we worship, I pray that you would hear our love and you would hear our adoration as we sing these words to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.